Welcome back to my podcast, Thoughts, Stories, and Ideas with Chris Spiegel. Today, I have another interview for you. And the interview is going to be with Robert Rappel. And he's someone who actually grew up close to where I um, grew up for the most part as well. However, throughout his life, he worked and studied in many different parts of the world, including the UK and now Canada. We talk about a lot of the things that also were mentioned in the last episode, especially the Founder Center Einstein 1 at the University in Hof, because that is also what he finds very intriguing in terms of having a small town with an incubator like this. Then we also talk about his startup called Story Streams and how describing software flow works in today's language and how language has an effect on all kinds of IT and programming, how teams can manage things with a more structured approach, especially when they break down their problems to regular communication and language. And also, and we also talk about differences in culture in the different countries with Canada, specifically Vancouver, how it is an interesting place to kind of like look for how different uh, cultures interact with each other. Overall, it is a really interesting conversation with Robert. It was really fun to do this interview, to learn more things especially for me also to learn a little bit of an insight about the city that I grew up around um, and the time that I wasn't even born yet and especially learning about the German-German border and from someone who actually noticed that and grew up around that because, because that was really something that was defining for many people for quite a long time and it changed over the course of a couple of months and um, it was quite fascinating. So overall, this conversation was really fun with Robert and I hope you enjoy it as well. If you have any feedback for me, please as always check on my website, which you will find in the show notes. And without further ado, let's jump into the interview. Now, <laughs> now I am lost for words. Uh, so first of all, thank you for um, coming out here and doing this interview with me. And um, I want to just circle back to where we met and kind of like start from there and uh, yeah, just take it from there. Sounds good. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. And uh, so we met each other at a founders or a founder center meetup in the Hof University, where it was all about GDPR and the changes in law, which is not necessarily what we are talking about today. But it, I found it very interesting to hear about someone who originally came from uh, Hof or the greater area of Hof but then ended up all around the world. And we had an exchange where <laughs> you asked me about how a digital nomad came to Hof. And it's kind of like the, the funny story about people, one of the rare occasions where someone from Hof actually goes out into the world, at least from my uh, personal experience in terms of who I know around me. And so I would like to kind of like just get a little bit of an overview of how that happened for you and how you uh, moved away and eventually, for now, ended up in Canada. Well, it was certainly, I didn't expect to meet someone, a digital nomad from the area at a, for starters, I didn't expect to find a startup incubator in Hof to begin with, <laughs> which was irresistibly interesting from my perspective and actually did turn out to be very interesting. They're about to open that Gründerzentrum don't worry about the German uh, <laughs> in in the fall. And uh, I look very much look forward to seeing how that goes. Um, it kind of goes to the roots of what made me kind of 
move on out from here. Uh, the, it, of course, there weren't any nomads of the digital kind and few of the other kind uh, when, I, when, when, when that happened. But uh, that was sort of the end, I, I suppose, Chris, of the, uh, uh, call it, in, uh, industrial era of the old style, the uh, shoe manufacturers, the textile mills, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, ceramics in the Zelt area and so on in this entire area um, it was uh, pretty much no longer competitive compared to uh, Asian and other manufacturers from India and so forth and so that was the period of the sort of the great shall we say restructuring mm -hmm. um, and um, it was difficult uh, for an entire generation I think it's fair to say of young folk to actually go anywhere here. They were nowhere near the educational opportunities. Uh, the, the Hochschule Hof didn't exist and so forth. So everybody went to study and so forth mm. and uh, made their way out. So for me, it's absolutely fascinating to see what has grown instead here. It's uh, the, I think the Hochschule is fantastic for the area. And there's also a lot of new firms, logistics and all sorts of things around here. And um, there is no question that the rivers in the air are cleaner, so much for industry. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a very nice area, which has, of course, its challenges in terms of um, aging society and all the rest of it. Uh, but uh, I, I, I'm in the process of discovering it again. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's an interesting perspective for me because my family moved here way after all the industrial Uh, structures were already gone around Hof. Like the, the, what you mentioned, the ceramics and the textile industry were no longer when we moved here at something like 1999, yeah, 98 or something then. like that. Yeah. So like I haven't been there for those things. And uh, it's interesting to hear like the uh, Hof University uh, is 25 years old now. And that's also what came after uh, the crippling effect of the industrial breakdown of this this specific area in germany yeah and so the the changes now and also something that inspired me to go away uh, and travel a lot and be in different places go to berlin go to chiang mai and, and places like that is um the dynamic of people who are building something and that's also one of the reasons why the founder center here in hof the gründerzentrum is so interesting for me and i like i really like that they are doing this here Uh, because of inspiring creation of business, creation of ideas and, and building startups and stuff like that. And to kind of like find a new, a new energy, so to speak, and a new currency in a way, where before uh, the know-how in textile and ceramics that got like kind of like went away, now we have companies that work with plastics and stuff like that that really are on a world scale but there has to be more. And so that's really interesting how it's changing. And I also found that aspect of like the rivers, like that's really a thing that like, uh, at, like when you were here in Hof and grew up here, the rivers were less clean than they are now. That is like palpable. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, for starters, uh, even after they cleaned up the river Zelbitz, a small mm -hmm. river uh, uh, near here, even after, after they cleaned that up, Uh, it it immediately sort of 
enters the Sale River near Blankenstein, where the paper mill in the uh, in, in former East Germany kind of made things a little messy again, and okay. also the uh, the um, sulfur dioxide fumes and so on. You could smell them everywhere, and the treetops were brown, things like that. It was actually environmentally not. There were no fish in that particular <laughs> river, uh, for example. It's it, it not 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 that I know of. No, it's full of them. Uh, mm -hmm. So a, a lot of things uh, are better, but of course the jobs which in uh, that form will probably never come back. Mm -hmm. With all that, um, it is now it has become possible to uh, actually do business here if you are in IT. Uh, it's uh, it uh, Teutonic Labs, my own firm. We can have perfectly good video conferences. All the rest of it, straight out of uh, small town, uh, what, as it's called Oberfranken here, mm. uh, works without a hitch. And uh, that, uh, if you combine that with the fact that, well, in downtown, um, some of the smaller villages uh, around. Uh, basically, you can get a downtown. Obviously, it needs it needs a few renos here and there, but you can get that for a price which is the equivalent of a uh, mid to mid to upper range car in Vancouver. Uh, so <laughs> it's, uh, the prices are <laughs> are uh, low. Uh, mm -hmm. Real estate is cheap. Uh, uh, and you, you compared to other places in Germany, for sure. And eventually, this place will probably pick up as a result of that. Um, there is enormous. Uh, it, it's getting a lot more attractive for the right kind of talent than it used to be. Uh, great cycling infrastructure and culturally, we, uh, there's all sorts of things happening and so on. So it's sort of, it's well, I don't want to evoke. The uh, coat of arms uh, of my hometown, Nyla, the guy with the club and so on. So <laughs> I, want, I don't want to sleep, uh, invoke the sleeping giant image, and uh, I don't want work, don't want, don't really want to work that angle very much. But <laughs> it's uh, it's certainly become an interesting area, mm -hmm. and I gravitated back here a bit. Uh, uh, first of all, it, it interests me what happens here. Second of all, for family reasons and so on, and because we do a bit more, a bit more business in in Europe these days, so it's a good reason to be here uh, part of the year again. Yeah, that's really interesting, and I have made the exact same experience. That uh, depending on what your lifestyle is, a small town like Hof or the surrounding smaller towns are very interesting for um, families, especially I think. For young people who want to go into clubs and stuff like that, I still believe that bigger cities are uh, kind of like where the party happens. But in terms of the ability to do good work, to have a family life that is um, reasonably priced, and at the same time have very good internet connection. For my, for my own experience, I have most of my clients are in the US. And I do exactly that. Like I have the video conferences. I do the tr file transfers and we have 200 megabits of internet here. And it's like 30 bucks, a uh, 30 euros a month, which is incredible to be able to do something like this. Yeah. And add to that, the Gründer Centrum, which will have a co-working space and, and yeah. all sorts of uh, resources, uh, also in knowledge and, and skill and all the rest of it from the, from the adjacent, uh, university and so on. It's, it's, it, it is game changing for this uh, area, that type of initiative. There's no doubt about that. There's absolutely nothing back, back there. I mean, this was, uh, for those who are 
not in the know. Uh, it's basically that corner between East Germany and what used to be Czechoslovakia. We are sitting, uh, what, what would you say, Chris, about 10 kilometers from the former Czechoslovakia and 10 kilometers equidistance from the former East Germany. Pretty much, so yeah. it, uh, basically you're looking at Iron Curtain on two sides out of four, <laughs> <laughs> traditionally, which you won't remember or won't know from around here, but it was quite... It was very different. <laughs> mm -hmm. I just learned about it in school, and I had like the experiences of the first people that were allowed to exit the East German part, and the trains coming in from Plauen to Hof. I just were like we were just told those stories uh, from the uh, at the time the what is it called Bürgermeister of the Hof. mayor, yes. the mayor yeah, of Hof yeah. at the time who he was the mayor at the time when that happened and he came to the school that I was at and he gave a talk about that experience and it was quite fascinating, but there's, and I, of, like we've seen the pictures, but nothing close to actually experiencing that. Oh, it was the human element. Uh, we, there's a place a near a place called oddly. Now that you mentioned, mention it, but Steben and, and uh, there's a place there uh, called Blankenstein across the border. And you had uh, the usual fortifications with a self-shooting lead, what's it guns and towers and so on. And of course, this being Germany, spazieren gehen, uh, doing, going for walks with the family is a huge tradition. So we just, I remember as kids, we'd walk with our parents and, and as teenagers, just off the border fortification and on the Western side, obviously, mm -hmm. these towers and they would look at you and sometimes look at you through binoculars and all the rest of it. And of course you try to you wave and all the rest of it and they never smile. And I knew the whole thing was done for, the, uh, the whole thing would just end. I knew it because we do the same thing as usual, walk by there, wave at them, smile, laugh, and all the rest of it. Suddenly this guy takes down, uh, lowers his binoculars, puts them down, uh, looks at us, smiles, smiles broadly and waves back. That's how I knew they were finished. Wow. <laughs> East German border patrol. Okay. <laughs> that was sort of, whoa, I never thought it would ever change. I can't believe what I just saw. Okay. And do you, by any chance, do you remember how long until the border actually went down? No, that was, that was? just a couple of weeks before. Okay. It was, so it was, gone official. It was, it was really close. It was close. close. Yeah, yeah. It was, everything was on the move already. Uh -huh. But still, uh, I grew up with, with nobody ever smiling from there. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's so fascinating. I like Again, same thing. We have the museum at, uh, what was it, Mödlerreuth? the divided town so to speak small berlin and um also like the historic documentation and 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 things like that but not coming from here it's hard to find uh real life uh stories or at least from like the people that i actually know uh or or have conversations with and that's like that's the time where you also like before uh before the border opened was the time where you initially started to kind of like um, go away as well, right? Yes, I, I actually lived in I lived in Brit I lived in the UK at the time. Mm -hmm. So we we get uh, essentially. I went. I worked for a few years. I did, I did a, what's called a Wirtschaftsassistent. It's like a diploma in business and a couple of years of work mm -hmm. uh, at BASF uh, Aktiengesellschaft, the chemicals guys in Ludwigshafen, and um, kind of got into the early 
Oh dear, that's a lot of files in your in basket. Can't we automate that somehow? Oh dear, that's a big mainframe. Can't aren't there smaller computers available? <laughs> uh, sort of got into IT uh, originally, working for BASF, then decided to study it. Looked at German informatics studium, which was kind of yeah, I don't know. It, uh, seemed uh, oh look, I don't know it yet. What's happening over in England? So I moved to England and studied uh, in what's now University of Hertfordshire. Mm -hmm. and uh, that was great i still use many things that taught there uh, the basics haven't changed uh it, it's the it is a lot like it, it's if it weren't so fashion driven and fad driven with uh with, with um all sorts of acronyms and 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 all the rest of it uh one could you blink you mistake it for coal mining nothing nothing ever changes <laughs> you still have the same mistakes May being uh, and the same good things being done and uh, by the same people uh, by the same in the same kinds of situations because it's still about making sure you understand where one piece of software ends and the next one begins because if you don't you get side effects and things break mm -hmm. which can have uh well a, 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 the most recent very visible and uh, very tragic outcome of that mm -hmm. was that boeing 737 yeah. uh disaster in software and that that frankly is a lifelong passion i i'm I, I, uh, I, i think i'm a fairly committed software engineer and architect uh -huh. but um part of it is the sheer difficulty right in a car right if you describe a car in terms of software you would say well um if you change the wind windshield wiper blades better check that the trunk still opens and <laughs> um it, it, yeah you have a fan belt and a seat belt and it makes perfect sense that there should be a belt a shared belt sub assembly and uh yeah if you turn the volume of the radio up and down uh it might speed up or slow down better check that so mm -hmm. th that it, for software uh, analogous statements are routinely made but if you put it in real world terms there's this this cognitive mismatch where it sounds completely insane and it's sort of edge of insanity of a, of a really immature uh, highly irrational industry which always attracted me to it mm -hmm. so i studied in the uk and um then to norway then to canada and so forth yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. which is um, for the way that I understand this, uh, looking at the StoryStream startup, that's partly in that realm of describing uh, the software yes. flow of things, right? Like that's interestingly, like that comes from that passion, I, I guess, in a way. Yes. Um, to say like what happens one step after the other. Yes. Uh, what are the events that something goes through, and uh, to describe those specifically to be able to then make the software choices from that. Yes. Uh, I don't want to turn this necessarily into a, a software engineering feast, uh, yeah. sort of chat fest here, but in, in a nutshell, uh, what we do, what Teutonic Labs do, is we, we specialize in event-driven and event-sourced systems uh, where we basically design software in terms of what happened before because everything uh, everything you look at uh, is based on things that happened before. If you shop at Amazon, there are certain events which happened in their software. There is uh, item-stocked, item put on catalog. There is uh, item added to your 
out basket. Yeah. There's um, order place, there's payment process, there's item shipped and so forth. Those are all events which can be stated in past tense and which describe business outcomes. And what we do is we specialize on this and, uh, and, and, uh, story stream is a tool for, um, eliciting that kind of, for, uh, for, uh, specifying systems and building modern services in those terms, mm -hmm. uh, because, uh, you put it together with another arcane discipline known as domain driven design. You basically solve that problem where your seat belt, whether your seat belt and your fan belt should live in the same belt subassembly by looking at things in plain English or for that matter German, uh, because usually you make the right decision of where something should be because what a belt is depends on the context in which you use it. Mm -hmm. uh, if, if you're looking at a fan that a belt is a completely different context then it would be when you're looking at a, a vehicle safety system and a clothing store. Mm -hmm. Rock is another example, right? Everything, every term you use has a context. Rock is something totally different depending on whether you're at a music venue or in the Alps. Mm -hmm. And so we use that. It's nothing we invented, right? But we are, we're just very experienced practitioners in this and building software along those lines. No. It's a, if you will, minimal, a very minimalist way of, 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 of shaping systems and building software, which reduces it to essentials understood by everybody in it. And so if you will, story stream, which is an online way of doing something called an event storming, uh, which is a way of getting groups of people in the same room to sort of use language to understand systems so they can be built and, and, and modernized. We do a lot of legacy mod system modernization and so on and replacement. And, uh, it's kind of an outcome of all that passion for building systems, which are shaped by real life instead of acronyms uh, to put it in a, <laughs> so that's kind of been the journey in many companies and so on. Started at BISF, went on to a number of other places. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then eventually ended up creating Teutonic and yes. out of that, like that's a consulting branch uh, mainly. And then Storystreams is the startup that got probably yes. created out of a necessity in a way to be able to describe processes that you were working on and consulting projects on yes uh, event storming is normally done with post-it notes on a wall okay. uh, which is uh, which is the very best way to do it where you have um uh, basically all stake it, it is pointless to do that if you only have technicians in the room you want business folks you want creative folks you want user experience people mm -hmm. uh, you want qa you want uh, preferably the guys who actually know what they're doing in the real world uh, which this software is supposed to assist and so on in the same room and you do this workshop uh, for example um, one of our one of the folks we did this for was Pacific Gas and Electric in San Francisco and uh, they are I think bust I'm not sure how you can get let your electricity company one of the biggest in the country go <laughs> bankrupt it, uh, sorry about that it's from my perspective it's not a Canadian thing it's not a it's kind of like oh American thing maybe but the <laughs> point is they, they were really large and we helped them uh, in, with, a, with a couple of workshops and so on and uh, it, it was quite interesting it was uh, about electricity poles and maintenance thereof things like that but then 
it's all post-it notes and it's all on the wall. And what was needed was a digital artifact, which is kind of keeps this alive mm -hmm. uh, and is, and gets out of the way when not needed and which can then be the input into automating the certain aspects of building a system from that. Mm -hmm. And, and so th th that kind of experience where there was a real need to, uh, keep working after that group of people who, uh, the, uh, where the biggest problem is to schedule them to in the same room in the first place as um, executive level guys and all the rest of it times pressures and so forth and uh, how to keep that going so we thought well we might as well build a nice uh, online tool for that mm -hmm. uh, which helps us with that uh, type of situation that's story stream became the solution for that which is I'm guessing like either it's something that you can start the process to begin with with and also like once the post-its notes are created someone has to take all the information and kind of like put it in the digital form. You could do that and sometimes we do but uh, we, we've uh, that's how we started all this but um, we've come to uh, use different techniques just because there is a tool like StoryStream. Mm -hmm. uh, two things are, have emerged. One we use quite extensively, but essentially you have uh, people do, it's all about the communication. Uh, so you got all these people who uh, discuss and decide what the events are, what order they're in and, and all, everything else that goes with it. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have somebody, a facilitator walking around who just listens, right? We call that role the story catcher. The story catcher walks around, listens, and sort of, and, and, and on a big screen, you see the system coming together from all those ideas that person picks up yeah. and puts it straight into story stream. Another version we're experimenting with, which is promising, but uh, it's still in the works to get the product right for that, is that people uh, stories, uh, events storm together just on their, on their phones, on a mobile version, instead of the post-it notes. It is, uh, event storming has, has, was invented a few years ago, I think 14 or something like that. By Alberto Brandolini, a very experienced practitioner, a very good guy. And, uh, he swears by the post-it note on a sticky mm -hmm. wall method, as do I in many ways. Uh, but it's just something where, which you, which you need to go beyond in certain situations, which is where story stream comes in mm -hmm. as a collaboration tool yeah. i think it's an interesting aspect is oftentimes the traditional way of doing something uh be it like for me writing with a fountain pen yeah. on paper uh and doing that kind of like the versus uh doing all my note taking and to-do listing and planning yes. on my computer and sometimes it's just that much more intuitive to use the old-fashioned way, so to speak. In this case, the post-it notes and be able to just like put something there and scrap it if it's not needed. And like some problems or some some situations on a computer, it's just the customization is not there to the degree that one can do it on manual ways. Uh, I noticed that when I was in university, it's like the same thing. There were yeah. people taking notes on their computers and I never understood because like drawing a graph with my fingers on paper or like with pen on paper is that much more easy than to do the same thing on a computer if the note taking app doesn't provide for that easily like now with ipads where we have actual pencils and stuff like that the game is changing um but until that point it was just not something was like a laptop with a mouse and a keyboard wasn't the same well, you see, it's down to yes, but it, why is that, right? Why is this a different? 
feeling, just the fact that it's more tactile and so on, uh, and and all the rest of it. That's because we evolved that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to see how recent all these things are, and how uh, and and how and 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 how we are actually wired. Uh, this is why uh, I think from exp- from experience that. Uh, design techniques like using plain English and, and, and contexts and so on to determine where one computer system ends and the next one begins mm-hmm. has such promise. Because if, if you do that with a team of people, um, it, le- it, it kind of builds on something we do absolutely natural. We evolved for a million years to recognize things which fit or do not fit together. Mm-hmm. Tree. Flower, rabbit, saber-tooth, tiger. Tell me what doesn't fit. What stands out? The saber-tooth? I thought the rabbit. Anyway, never mind. (laughs) (laughs) You get the idea. Absolutely. Absolutely. You see, and this is why I call it kind of natural software engineering. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was was always, especially, this was one of the things which drove me to to go to the UK, other than, like, uh, I'm a a huge Anglophile. The sense of humor is priceless. That is... (laughs) Uh, I'm kind of maybe the Brexit thing was a little over the top, but, but <laughs> the thing is, at the time, uh, the places I looked at in Germany for informatic uh, at CompSci and German universities was all very, very heavily focused on mathematics. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, if you do, uh, it depends. There, is, there are such things, but most systems I've ever encountered. Uh, we're not at all about that. It's a, uh, IT is about language. Uh, you're basically uh, interpreting something someone told you that it should do in, in another language. It doesn't matter that those are computer languages or whatever. This is, it, it's about language and understanding and communications. Chris, have you ever heard about Conway's Law? I have not. Conway's Law basically says that uh, the kind of systems an organization can build in software are constrained by the communications paths within that organization. Mm-hmm. So it's easy to understand. Uh, if you have uh, three teams and you give them a system to build, that system will consist of three different subsystems, whether it makes engineering sense or not. The likelihood that a piece of software gets re- reused and enhanced rather than rewritten depends on whether the guy who's supposed to reuse it is the original author or not, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So these are very human things. And uh, it is part, I think, of the maturing of the industry that that human dimension takes center stage, uh, especially as you mentioned it yourself with better user interfaces and all the rest of it, and 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 uh, generally more human-friendly uh, computing machinery. There are entirely different possibilities to do so now. Yeah, and, and uh, the thought that came to my mind was that I just heard about the computer science, um, like the, the, the course here at the Hof University, they actually stripped out mathematics completely. I, I'm not entirely sure if it's called completely, but they removed the, the lectures. Uh, and I think at my time, it was either it was two or three semesters where we had one, uh, one course of mathematics each. And either it's down to one of them or it's completely removed. And that kind of shows the image of mathematics in computer science are not necessarily the main focus. In terms of building an application that is usable, 
of course you need mathematics for certain problems and that's also the differentiation that i like to make about the fachhochschule which is the hof, uh, hof university versus a university which is more theoretical whereas the one in hof is more a practical place where it's about um, building a application whereas another a person who wants to focus on the mathematics of something would probably go into optimization of certain algorithms uh, where it's more mathematics uh, necessary. Well, you, you, as you say, it depends what you what you want to do. Yeah. You do need a foundation, obviously. It is more about, as you already mentioned, whether it, uh, under in what, it's again, we talked about context, right? In yes. what context does it take center stage? If it's about uh, certain aspects of machine learning or analytics, absolutely, uh, yeah. it, uh, it, uh, it is absolutely center stage. Uh, if it's about how to make business software or software which powers some startup and so and so on, uh, it, it fit for its purpose. Not so much, mm -hmm. and in in the sense that it's it's more a people game, and it's a it is literally. A, a, a language and, and, and not misinterpreting what, uh, what you tell each other and mm. knowing what to ask and, and, and so forth and how to make the uh, practical, applicable assumptions to begin with. Mm. Uh, also, theory in this isn't necessarily related to, in a strictest sense, what you think of as mathematics. I mean, obviously, this, they, 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 these are sort of related, but for example, Uh, the concept of a finite state machine, uh, the uh, the principles underlying neural networks, things like that. There there are certain uh, there are certain theoretical foundations which uh, we learned back at, at Hatfield at the time, which I still use every day. The state machine part more than neural, than the neural nets that was science fiction at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, we were convinced that nothing useful would come of it within the next three hundred <laughs> years. Uh, things like that. Uh, but it's 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 just uh, again a matter of context and i think many things were learned in how um in, in informatics and comp computer engineering are uh, ought to be taught there's still a long way to go i find that the, my son just got his uh, compsci degree and i'll say that uh, in terms of applicability there are there's a bit of a gap in, mm -hmm. uh, which i noticed probably mm -hmm. not everywhere but yeah i think one of the interesting things about uh that is that more and more the craft mixes together and computer science has been this field where there's these nerds in in the basement basically uh no like not really talking to people and that is also shifting where there's more and more yeah. people going into computer science that are not necessarily the ones that are just so like socially incompatible or shy or something like that and so now we have people that are more interested in people more interest in the in the interaction with people uh, coming into these teams to kind of like also bridge the gap uh, between the person that has a problem and then they have someone to talk in between. And then there is absolutely also a place for the hardcore algorithm optimizing mathematics, um, like frenetic, let's say. Um, but there's this in-between space now where you have computer science people that are more focused on the... Uh, interpretation of the world to actually bring that um bring that to the table no it's a very large tent um uh, with many different specializations now mm -hmm. and um there, there's a space there's uh, plenty of space for all of those preferences yeah um 
one thing I noticed, uh, though, is it's still, um, I even read that somewhere. There are actually uh, less women entering the field than there were in my day, which it was a complete surprise. I can't remember where I read that. It came as a complete surprise for me. It could do with uh, with more women and more uh, equal opportunity that way. I mean, the opportunities are there, but it still has that uh, not mm-hmm. entirely justified geek nerd pocket protector kind of image mm-hmm. which i love don't get me wrong I, it's, it's <laughs> absolutely i revel in that stuff but it's it, it's it, it's um it could do with more folks entering the field who wouldn't normally think of it yeah. because it's highly rewarding right it's uh, uh i wouldn't call it the last refuge of the middle classes really but it's uh, <laughs> it's it's creative right yeah. um build it, it's an if you will it is an underappreciated art form Building good software is art mm-hmm. at its best. Uh, there's not one. Uh, there's not one bit too much. Not uh, not one bit missing. It's just right, and you can tell when you're talking with uh, when when you're looking at the code, and if you if you're using the sort of user experience uh, from of a master craftsman or woman, you can tell mm-hmm. uh, it's an art form. Uh, it takes <laughs> a little to to appreciate it, but it is art. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's and 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 to see it that way is uh, some of the best stuff is made by people who see themselves as craftsmen and artists, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it, it's it's a highly rewarding thing to do. You get this wonderful we we made this feeling right. There's nothing like. Uh, standing there when that thing is uh, when that thing is live, and and the and the guys and yourself just stand there like. Look at that! We made this. We built this, right? Where else do you ge- do you get this in this sense? Of course, there are fields, but there in software, it's, it can be highly rewarding. Mm. The sad thing is that it's often so unrecognized from the outside world. It's very like it's it's a feeling that you can get when you look at it yourself in a team situation, or maybe you have uh, also other aspects or other um, other people in the business that then start using your software or you see other people starting using your software but the the craft underneath it is something that's somewhat under it's not visible i think that's partly the problem like nobody really sees the code people are like well instagram works but it's like nobody really cares about how it's code underneath it works and nobody really appreciates it for that um and and it's often like if it if it doesn't work everybody comes screaming but as long as it works it's kind of like hidden away not really noticed Uh, it is as listening to myself touting what it's like at its best i should mention that we're also looking at in a way an industry in crisis because of uh, uh because of the lack of skill to actually make it so mm-hmm. um yes things appear to be working until they don't. <laughs> uh, but when you look at um, the actual, yeah, if, if you look at, at, at a, an established business with an ex- established software, either in products or in their own enterprise systems, who want to change that, uh, that's when the pain begins. It doesn't scale. It's too difficult to change. Uh, things break simply because uh well if you change the spark plugs and uh the fuel pump stops working that that shouldn't happen but it does in software and the reason for that is insufficient attention to engineering and uh that is a usually 
a mutually self-defeating cycle where everybody does their best, but the sum total of all uh, makes for brittle, hard-to-maintain software. As in, can you do that by this deadline, which was driven because we were late the last time we did this? And then uh, it's basically uh, what happens if you build a car faster and you cut corners and things like that. That is uh, rampant in software because the actual success factors the, uh, which make software projects succeed or fail are opaque to most, I, I, I dare say, to, to, to even most people who are in a non-technical management and leadership capacity outside software. Uh, so uh, in that sense, it's an industry in crisis. At mm -hmm. its best, it's glorious. At its worst, though, it can make a mess which would not pass muster in manufacturing, having mm -hmm. worked in textiles and chemicals. Oh, no, that would not go. <laughs> that would not do at all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that, I mean, that's also one of the things we address and which uh, story stream and, and these, these analysis techniques and communications workshops and so on are designed to address. We modernize legacy systems and we, we help folks to make progress in just that area. Mm. We are in the making everybody safe business because uh, obviously you get many fight or flight reactions in this whole thing and so it's actually again it's not technical at all it is about getting buy-in making fee people feel safe and supported and then progress happens yeah. i haven't actually solved a technical problem in a very long time in that <laughs> sense <laughs> yeah, it's, it's about the human yeah, component it, is, in it that. always it's, is it's so much again about that. back to the human aspects of of of, of making and building so and, and designing software yeah much underappreciated on that like on that note um what would you say like are aspects that you kind of like see happen again and again not necessarily just about the software aspect but like about the the human aspect of that or maybe even um the place where you can transfer that knowledge or those learnings that you have had over the last 20 30 years um into other life areas Is that like something where you can say like there's these, I don't know, three, four things that come up again and again, and there's solutions that you have learned from the software perspective uh, that can translate in other areas? Well, um, overwhelmed, tired people under the gun make mistakes which can be difficult or impossible to fix. Therefore, if you're in a leadership position, Don't overwhelm people and uh, make sure they don't get too tired. Mm -hmm. uh, have the right guide fences. And uh, a guide fence in that sense is, um, say, in software architecture and for that matter, processes and so on. But the way I see it is like this. Um, imagine it's 3 a.m. in the morning. There's a killer deadline at 9 a.m. in the morning. Uh, that team has been working for 14 hours straight. Something goes wrong. And uh, those completely back to the wall, tired under the gun people uh, do the simplest thing that the simplest, dumbest thing that crosses their mind to fix the problem. Mm -hmm. I have succeeded as a, a, a systems architect and, and guy who fiddles together what amounts to user experiences for development teams and management teams and so on. If that most straightforward, 
dumbest thing you do when you're totally tired and against back against the wall happens to be the, the correct thing. <laughs> that that's 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 how it ought to be, right? Yeah. Um, it, your car is designed that way, right? Uh, it's it hides the complexities of all this, and you don't have to understand how a rack and pinion steering works. All you know is if you turn the wheel that way, the car is very likely to go right. Yeah. Right, things like that, and good soft. The hallmark of good software architecture is that it's it has the right guide fences, so it's tired developer and overwhelmed management with deadlines proof to the greatest extent possible. That's mm-hmm. a very high bar and difficult to achieve. But I, I, I'm I'm thinking more and more about uh, about it in terms of guide fences, mm. not. Barriers, uh, not checks and balances, which slow things down, waterfall style, but literally guide fences within which you can do whatever you you want, but the fences are in place because the worst thing you do, uh, the the dumbest, simplest thing you do will hopefully turn out to be the right thing. And that's Mm. a good guide fence. To focus on like the dumbest, simplest thing is a, I think it's oftentimes underestimated. Uh, we we overcomplexify like we we over like we make it overly complex in so many areas of life constantly. Yeah. Whereas uh, we mentioned Tim Ferriss before we started recording, and like he is one of those people that's like oversimplify instead of over like, going with the complexity. Yeah. Like, if you want to learn how to cook, maybe it's not the place to start with fifteen different spices, but instead just use pepper and salt. Yeah. And like limit your options to those things and nowadays with technology specifically there's like there's way too many options for us we have i don't know 15000 different languages we can choose from architecture styles are en masse uh, there's microservices or you program everything in one like in, in one runtime like just giving yourself these guide fences and like having an architect or having a project management kind of like building that structure in the first place to then work inside of that sounds like a really helpful uh, aspect and something that can protect against big mistakes, let's say, or, or guide at least in the direction of ideally the best solution. Uh, it can, but then it's also, of course, one it's, it, there's also, there are strong kid in a candy store power, uh, elements at work. Mm. Uh, it is, uh, catnip to cruise around and check out the latest and greatest in tools and techniques and practices and patterns and oh look oh look at that did you see that blog post over there and and man that's a piece of open source i just love look at that look at look, look oh my god i've got to find a reason to use it i'm as guilty of that as the next person uh, this is where it then comes down to uh sort of actually actively uh, uh, trying to cultivate your inner minimalist in many ways mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and it's like minimalism not just in software development even in real life like as a digital nomad nowadays traveling uh for the past two and a half three four years uh just having a certain amount of clothes a certain amount of gear and there's just no way to have more 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 uh that is something that has more and more translated into the digital world for me uh where i i'm going like focusing on you know i like even though i read about something new Mm -hmm. like say 
be it microservices. And my system currently is not set up in that way. And I'm not going to change everything just because I read that cool new thing. And it just, it, it keeps working. And so um, keeping that focus and not like the shiny object syndrome in, in many ways, right? Um, to kind of like focus back. Uh, but I wanted to kind of like circle back a little bit um, to the beginning of the conversation mm-hmm. to one question that kind of like in the preparation of this was an interesting one for me to kind of like just have a couple of uh, maybe random topics. But um, Canada has been your home for, I don't know how long, it's like something like 10, well, since 1992 or something. So like yeah, almost yeah. like 20, 25 years, something like that. Yeah, a bit more than that. Yeah. Um, yep. And like I was curious to hear uh, what would be the like what would be the most interesting difference between Canada and Germany, or maybe similarity if that's uh, easier to come up. It's um, what can I say? <laughs> my, my Canada is it's 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 a it's a it's a it's a big place, and my perspective is overwhelmingly the British Columbia sort of cask. Uh, um, West Coast perspective, the banana belt, if you will. Mm-hmm. And um, what's the most significant difference? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's you have, on the one hand, Vancouver is, of course, um, all of those places are uh, sort of superficially like Europe in a different context. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's if if I compare it to, uh, I haven't been to all that many non-European, strongly European flavored places, uh, but um, it, it especially uh, I came from Britain where I lived before, and from and it literally is uh, compared to the UK, the the humor is more straightforward for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's but then uh, it's not comparable to. German humor either, I'd say, but uh, it, it it really feels a lot like the UK felt. At the same time, it is a uh, very, uh, in practical terms, very Asian-influenced uh, city. Uh, it's uh, f- from foodstuffs to fo- uh, to to customs and Chinese New Year is huge. Uh, and my my kids' high school, seventy percent of everybody is 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 from uh, from a- is, is Asian, usually Chinese or Korean, and so on, which makes for a fascinating fascinating cultural mix. I like to. I th- I'm not saying this is a difference, right? Uh, but uh, I like to think of Vancouver. As a sort of a could be place, right? It's what would a place look like where basically the the world, there's no culture in the world where there isn't somebody and some community of some kind in Vancouver, I think. And so you have this thing: what would a world look like where everybody just kind of hangs out and 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 any kind of works? And so why is that, right? It's because the place is, for practical purposes, devoid of history. Uh, there, there is. The native folks are the only ones who can say that they always were there, and uh, they are uh, a small minority these days. Uh, they're of course a very tragic story with disease and and all sorts of mm. very nasty things which happened uh, there. But in 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 terms of cultural influence, 
uh, they are a, a small minority. So let's say other than the native folks, uh, it's the notion that any one group could say, this is ours, we've always been there is ludicrous. <laughs> yeah. uh, if, uh, even I think from the very beginning, which for the most part was gold rush and so forth in the 19th century, railway building and so on, there were, there, there were European and, and, and Chinese folks there almost around the same time. If you go to a, a sort of, uh, rebuilt uh for gold rush town like barkerville it had a chinatown and all the rest of it mm -hmm. and and i think that makes for a culture which is almost like a laboratory of how the world could be there are no real ghettos there are no real uh it's it it it, it, it is a, a very good place that way so a very melting pot yes well you know, i wouldn't call it melting pot it, it has a distinct flavor where people keep many of their own customs all the rest of it oh, okay. uh, it's more like man i can be tourist in my own town anytime i want kind of feeling it's uh, it's not a melting pot it's more a uh friendly a, a, a friendly coexistence uh, with mm -hmm. me. Hey, this is really interesting. Let's do a dragon boat race kind of thing. Okay. Uh, 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 and vice versa. So it's, uh, it, uh, that is one thing I enjoy a great deal. Okay. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's that a wonderful people, place that way. That people can keep their custom or like are keeping their customs, having their groups, but at the same time functioning together. Yes. No. That that common ground, the school system is brilliant that way. Uh, I mean, every place has its tensions, every place has its downsides, all the rest of it. But if you look at the way uh, this works in practice, uh, yeah, there is uh, it's it, it has many things going for it. I think as a, as a model, that's that's very interesting. As the open question and a very interesting answer to that, um, I had another thought before and maybe it's an interesting idea to kind of like think about that uh if you were to write a book what would you write about or what would the title be potentially <laughs> it would obviously be software architecture and how to build proper systems so they don't so they look more like cars or something <laughs> <laughs> i really thought about it okay <laughs> but it, it would build. probably be it would probably be a technical book on so it, not probably it would be a technical book on uh on software engineering and 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 things We've seen over the years things mm -hmm. which work and which don't work. I don't want to get us back into the software and architecture track. It's or it's it's already turned into a rather large sidebar, but still, <laughs> <laughs> it would probably be something technical, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. which which makes sense, as, yeah. especially uh, you said that it's also a lifelong passion for oh, you. It remains um, a hobby. Yeah. It's 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 it, uh, that days. I mean, uh, I'm not sure if I can recommend that. Where uh, turning it into a profession can ruin a perfectly good hobby, but it hasn't for me yet. Okay, uh, that's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've made the I've made a sort of different experience for me. Computer science when I was a teenager was the thing. Then throughout my uh, mid twenties, when I studied and started doing my internship and stuff like that, I still was very much all for it. And I'm right now. I'm in a sort of um hiatus for specifically for programming things and being in that depth that i have been for almost a decade between 13 and 25 or something like that and for me it was almost like i burned out after that 10 12 years of computer science 
and am doing more different things now, uh, which is not that I don't like it anymore, but it's not the time for it right now for me. But so that's like different people, different experiences. And uh, sometimes I need a break <laughs> from, yeah. from that. Uh, I might come back to it at some point. Yeah. Um, yeah. To kind of like keep it in, in this realm of uh, random questions. It's like if you were to have to start over with, let's say, choosing a profession, would you like what other profession would be something where you think you would be good at if it weren't in the software engineering world? Uh, oh, dear. That's a tough one. I'm not, it's entirely possible that I have a sort of an idiot savant thing there and would have wound up on a park bench without software. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> so it was destiny that, so, that showed up at, at that time. In a way. Um, no, I, I think I probably would have, um, I would have done something with, uh, in writing and public speaking, things like that. Uh, I, d I did do that as a student writing for German newspapers and so on at the time when you could still make a bit of money as a freelancer and so forth and, and uh, uh, travel stuff and so forth. Yeah. So pr probably something along those lines. Which I, is I was also a stage magician at the, at, at, at the time and I was busking and so forth, but uh, that would be something I'm not sure trying to uh, move the kids into a direction where they don't consider that as a career choice. <laughs> <laughs> but in a way, it's interesting that you say like being on stage or writing something, uh, it's coming into the, into the world with software engineering for you where it's the, um, where the language focus is and where the, like, the coaching groups of people. Yes. And uh, so you kind of like brought those worlds together where it's on one hand, it's probably very, Uh, like programming or science, like computer science heavy, but at the same time, it's so much the human aspect and the uh, and the people uh, to kind of like get them together, get them speaking, and also be aware of the language that's being used in the yeah. descriptions oh, of yeah, everything yeah, yeah. and then the processes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's factors which are much clearer now, <laughs> which are much more, perhaps they were always clear, but which are much more, um, center stage uh, now than they used to be like the, the role of um, emotional intelligence mm -hmm. uh, and so forth in, 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 in all those endeavors like delivering software and making it I mean you're ultimately always looking at a socio-technical system mm. uh, two of them as a matter of fact you're building a socio-technical system whereby uh, the no software works without users if you will. And therefore that uh, we use it in certain ways who have certain expectations who have certain experiences with it. But the process of delivering such a project itself and maintaining it is also a socio-technical system where your DevOps, uh, your, the way you make the work work, the way you observe making the work work, mm -hmm. it, the, 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 they, they are a, Uh, uh, both of these things you're creating a culture in both ways right both with what you're producing and how and, and what the user experience is for that and the user experience of the process of producing it itself mm -hmm. uh, which doesn't help because it makes it endlessly complicated but it also makes it very fascinating and so you get into what kind of um, personalities and, and traits make a good team to deliver that right mm -hmm. 
so at one end of the scale, I read a really interesting article about that actually only yesterday about um, the downsides of emotional intelligence, <laughs> where you have um, obviously somebody who has a lot of empathy, uh, who is an observer and 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 uh, of the, uh, of his or her own emotions and able to be judicious about them and all the rest of it. And uh, there, there's there all the upsides in terms of uh, being uh, a person who people like to work with, a person who is uh, able to uh, a comfort giver and uh, sort of a team player, all the rest of it, mm -hmm. right? And and this is all highly valuable. But the author came. Uh, the author points out that well, um, there is a uh, an aspect where this also is perhaps a uh, a little too much consensus. It can be too much consensus seeking for true creativity, mm -hmm. and uh, it may not work uh, that well in situations where. It's about either giving or receiving negative feedback and calling a spade a spade, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And so, um, the, on the other hand, you have the uh, people who lack the emotional intelligence, but who have this sort of, at their best, have this 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 so mind like a sword brilliance, right? Mm -hmm. uh, which may not necessarily make them many friends, but which it may be needed to actually move the move the ball where you want to move the ball. Uh, you want to be where the puck is going to be in Canadian hockey terms, oh. and it's more that type of person who may, at their best, do that. And of course, neither personality trait and personality as we're speaking about those two by themselves and and in a dominant position will get it done ultimately mm -hmm. but it's getting the right having again the right guide fences uh, so you have a culture and a team where both of those traits uh, sort of meet in the middle and get the best thing that that that's the art form yeah uh, yeah yeah i think that that's uh finding that middle ground between between those two is very important and it's something that is quite interesting to see in a team and and trying to get people on on the same page uh to yeah yes. find that it is yeah. it's a classic it's it's the classic dichotomy in, in in this type of thing you tend to have the emotionally intelligent people as project managers scrum masters and all the rest of it uh, the sort of conciliatory um, making sure that things don't fly off the handle kind of folks and uh, then on the other hand you have the obvious geeks where, where uh, and uh, it's a very it can be a difficult um, dynamic to, no. to uh, make work no. so it's it's a, 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 I got this from a friend of mine Patrick McDonald former boss of mine Patrick used to in, when uh, used to he's now retired great guy and uh, he used to Patrick was a was pro, a, a, a wonderful person all around he describes himself as he was uh, at Rocky Mountaineer and various other companies he describes himself as a as a project janitor so <laughs> Patrick is the project janitor yeah. sort of a, hum, uh, a guy who just makes it work who is sort of uh, it, 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 uh, I think the fashionable term may be pro, maybe um, servant leadership 
but mm-hmm. I like project janitor better. It's more hands-on. <laughs> yeah, it's a fun it's a fun term. It's a little bit different uh, <laughs> yeah. than what you would expect yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. So I would like to wrap things up. And I think that it was a really interesting conversation spanning all the way from the German divide uh, through software engineering and now to the dichotomy in project management as well as the Canada-Germany difference and why Vancouver is such an interesting place of, in a way, puzzle pieces of culture. Um, do you have any other thoughts that you would like to share or bring up? Well, thanks for having me. And it was, uh, it was uh, I really enjoyed the conversation. And um, I hope we didn't swerve too far into software engineering. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. <laughs> I think that that's okay. And uh, I will leave links to the Teutonic website as well as the story stream in the show notes. And uh, we'll link to that, that people, if they want to go all the way into that, or happen to be interested uh, can contact you thanks Chris much appreciated thanks for having me yeah wonderful thank you Robert for spending the time with me and doing this interview and having this conversation it was really interesting and as I've already mentioned in the intro especially the part about learning about the German-German border was something that was quite fascinating for me and also the whole approach to seeing language in programming and all over the software engineering site and just the topic of software engineering in general. For everybody listening, I hope this conversation was really interesting for you as well. If you have any feedback for me, please feel free to reach out to me. You will find the contact information in the description of this podcast. And of course, you will find my website there where you will also be able to subscribe to the newsletter and uh, find my YouTube channel, Instagram, and all the necessary information. So with all of those things being said, I hope this was an enjoyable conversation for you. So with all of that being said, I hope you enjoyed this conversation and I look forward to connecting with you again on another one. Until then, see you. Ciao, ciao.